God, again, in our worship, would you speak to us now? In your name we do pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand together for the gospel reading this morning, and I'm going to read to you from the gospel. Let's read together. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any if think they are righteous and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So maybe if you were paying attention, that wasn't from Mark. That was from James, and um, that's a text I'm going to be preaching from this morning, so I'm just going to pick up right there uh, with, the, with that text. I'm going to be using, and I'll repeat some of the verses, but I'll be using the uh, message. Eugene Peterson's translation of this word is the, from the message. But before I do that, I'm, I'm not going to give a fresh eye report this morning. I want to share something with you that I think is very important for Christian leaders uh, to say. So this week, leaders, Christian leaders, we're reminded that it has become more easy for us to be political in the pulpit, in the church, and I will not do that. <laughs> not only do I not think that is faithful to our country, I don't think it's faithful to the kingdom of God, which is more of my concern. And so I will not do that. Um, there are political implications in scripture because it governs how we behave, how we treat others, no doubt. But I trust the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts around that. And I don't think Martin Luther King said, the church is neither the slave nor the master of the state. 
The church is neither the slave nor the master of the state. It is the conscience. And if we get in cahoots with the state, we can no longer be the conscience. And I, I, I'm glad y'all agree. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to preach that, but it really just disturbed me. I, I, it disturbs me. I don't think it's faithful, quite frankly. So anyway, we will move on to James. Let me pray. We'll begin. Gracious God, again, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. For you, Lord, are our priority. Your kingdom and our citizenship in your realm precedes, supersedes all other identity. Lord, we are your people. Help us to behave so. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And I think James, as you heard on the read by Charles, speaks to speech. James intends to address how it is Christians behave. And we're going to be looking at the book of James for the next month. We're doing a series called Inside Out because James wants us to consider how it is that we behave and what it is that motivates our behavior. So does it come from without? Does it come from within? Maybe a little bit of both. How do we as Christians negotiate who we are? And who we are, quite frankly, is what we do. Because as the text just said, words without action doesn't mean much. So we're going to be taking a look at that and this morning, of course, beginning in James 1. Now I want to share with you that for most of my children's lives... I have had one simple prayer, one single prayer, not not the exclusive prayer, but one prayer that I have tried to pray for years. And that simply is this, may my child, Owen or Laura, may my child be healthy, happy, and may they make good decisions. May my child be healthy and happy, and may he or she make good decisions. Now, I started this prayer when I was holding Owen in my arms. And I would pray it out loud, and I would pray I, almost every night. I can't swear to it, but almost every night I would pray this for him. As he grew, I would pray it out loud quite intentionally because I think on some level I thought if I pray that he will make good decisions out loud, it'll become second nature to him. He'll just make good decisions because he knows his mama wants him to. He knows his mom has been praying for it. He'll, he's absolutely going to make good decisions. Now, not sure it quite works that way. I wish it did. And, and somewhere along the way, I will confess to you, I quit praying that out loud. And I regret it. I regret it. I don't know if it's because his sister was born and I was with her at night and Jonathan was putting Owen to bed and, or, or what it was. And then as he got older, he started staying up later than me. I'm not a night owl. And, uh, anyway, I don't know when I quit praying it out loud, but I regret it because I do want him to know his mama's praying for him. I do want him to know that I want him to be healthy and happy and I want Jesus to help him make good decisions. I would encourage you to, to pray something like that for your children. I think it is so important that kids hear parents or loved ones praying for them. But anyway, so this week we took Owen to college. So I guess that's kind of what got me to start reflecting on some of this. And, and we took him down there, and, and I had a meltdown on Tuesday. We took him down on Wednesday, but I got it all out on Tuesday, or so I thought, crying and crying. He was crying. It was great, right? 
Wednesday, we got down there, and there was such, we, he's at Walford in Spartanburg, and there was such positive energy and excitement, and everything was taken care of, and things were going well, and it was fun and new, and, and so it wasn't so difficult on Wednesday. We, we actually stayed until 7, uh, yeah, 7.58, and parents had to be off campus by 8 o'clock. So the goodbye was quick, right? The goodbye, okay, bye, bye, bye. Okay, we love you, we love you, oh, we love you, you, you know, as he took off to whatever the next activity was for students. But so it was a great day. It was a great day. And, and, and as we were coming back to Charlotte, maybe getting on 485, getting closer to home, I found myself wanting to shout that prayer back towards Spartanburg, back towards where he could maybe hear it one more time. Make good decisions. Oh, and Jesus, help him make good decisions because he's on his own. I've never been a hover mother, and I believe we cut the apron strings. I believe our kids need age-appropriate choices. We come to a point in life where we've got to make a decision, and, and good parenting, I think, means that we help our children learn how to do that in a way that is appropriate to their development. So, so, so it's not that I'm a hover mother, but it's just that I'm a mother that wants my kid to make good decisions. And I'm not unique. I know that. I know I'm not unique. I know we all want our children to make good decisions, whether they are young or old. I know we want our grandchildren to make good decisions. I'd venture a guess that anybody who loves kids wants them to make good, good decisions. Anybody who loves kids, anybody who wants the best for the society in which we live is praying for generational decisions. Because so much depends on what we decide and the choices that we make. And, it, and it's not just for kids, is it? This prayer for good decisions should encompass all that we do, including ourselves and those around us. One of my friends refers to adulting. Have you heard that word? It's time to adult. You turn the noun into a verb, it's time to adult. And I think what that means, quite frankly, is can we make good decisions? Can we choose the right way when we come to a crossroads in life, when we're standing there and we have option A and B and maybe C, D, E, and F? Will we choose rightly? And how is it that we are to do that? What are we going to do? What is it that's going to guide us? What is it going to is it's going to guide our neighbor? What is it that's going to guide somebody we don't know? What is it that's going to guide Anybody around us? I mean, so much rides on these decisions. I found it interesting in the um, McCain's memorial service yesterday. I have never heard these words, but I found them so appropriate. I believe it was Obama quoting Hemingway, which was McCain's favorite, from one of McCain's favorite books. Today is the only day in all the days that will ever be. But what will happen in all the other days that ever come can depend on what you and I do today. What is it that we are going to decide to do? And how is our daily decision going to affect all the days hereafter? I think that's powerful. And I think that's important for believers to consider Not that every single decision is going to have eternal effects, but some of them do. Some of them do. And so we come to James, and James was one of Jesus' disciples. And if you remember from several weeks ago, we talked about James, and he, in 
in um, oral tradition, probably is the disciple that made it furthest in sharing the gospel. Jesus told the disciples to go into the world and to spread the word of God, to share Christ with others. And many think that James made it all the way to Spain, the furthest point west, if you will. So many think that James made it all the way to Spain. I referred to there's a pilgrimage you can do 500 miles and you get to Santiago, Spain. And that's where tradition holds that, that James got to. But whether he did or not, it's not the point. What James is doing in his word, in his book, is addressing the Christian community that's gotten out of Jerusalem. The Christian community has spread beyond the confines of Jerusalem, beyond the confines even of Israel. The Christians have gotten out into the world. And so what James wants to do is to remind them and remind us, quite frankly, that our behavior matters. And that what we do is either going to give a great witness to the Lord or... Not so much. And so James is very focused on behavior. Very focused on behavior. What is it that makes Christian community distinct? What is it that makes individual Christian distinct? And how does our behavior affect that witness to the world around us? And the reason I like the message translation for this uh, particular text that we're reading this morning, I love it because in verse 19... James says this, post this at all the intersections, dear friends, post this at all of the intersections, because when it's time to make the decision, right, when you come to the crossroad, when you get to the point that you're going to go again, A, B, C, D, left, right, up, down, whatever, Remember these words. Post these words at the intersections, at the decision points of your life, at your crossroads. Post these words, and I love them, even though they're hard as heck to to obey. Lead with your ears, people of God. Lead with your ears and follow with your tongue. Now, that's hard. And by the chuckles, I guess that's not just hard for me. When it comes to a decision point, lead with your ears and follow with your tongues. The more traditional translation, as Charles read, is be slow, quick to listen, and slow to speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. You've got to decide. The decisions before you, some people would maybe envision the little devil on one side and the angel on the other whispering into your ear, what is it you're going to do? I don't know. But post this at your intersections. Remember this when you're making a decision. Lead with your ears. Be quick to listen. Follow with your tongue. Be slow to speak. What are you going to do? Don't make snap judgments. What are you going to do? Don't answer off the cuff. Listen to what's going on. I frankly think it's listening to the word of God, listening to the spirit's movement in your life. I also think it's listening to trusted friends and believers. What is it? The conversation, the counsel, the understanding of how it is God is calling us to act. Lead with your ears. 
One person said, we have two ears and one tongue for a reason. Now, I will admit, I told you I come from a family of a bunch of lawyers. We like to talk. Lawyers and a preacher, we really like to talk. Ready to, for an argument. Ready for a pronouncement. It's just ingrained in me. It's just part of who I am. When I took Jonathan home, I think for the first or second time when he was meeting my family, my husband, Jonathan, we were sitting at the dinner table and the coppages all talk at the same time. Now, there might be some listening going on because oftentimes we can respond appropriately to whatever the subject, sister or brother or mother or father or me is. I mean, you know, but we all talk at the same time and generally we're following each other, but it blew Jonathan's mind. He came from a very quiet family, and this was not really how he operated. And so, uh, you know, it, it threw him a little bit. And he will say that it threw him even further when my sister reached across the table and stuck her fork in something that she thought he wasn't going to eat and proceeded to put it on her plate. But anyway, this is just how my family is. It's just who we are. But we do well to remember, do we not? We've got to be slow to speak, quick to listen. I've been married almost 24 years, and Jonathan still has to remind me, Elizabeth, let me finish what I'm saying. I'm not done yet. You you don't need to answer back yet. I mean, you might be making a very good point, but let me finish. And, And I don't think that's just unique to people that we're in a relationship with. I think we do that all of the time. I think we listen already knowing what we want to say sometimes. I think we listen oftentimes ready to rebut or rebuke. I think we listen with our own agendas. I think we listen with preconceived ideas about the speaker. And yet James says quite clearly, lead with your ears and follow with your tongue. You're going to have decisions to make about your behavior, what it is you're going to do, how it is you're going to be in this world. The Christian community, again, is out there. You may be on your own. You may be lucky enough to have a fellow believer with you. I don't know. But listen, people of God. Lead with your ears and follow with your tongues. It's good advice. It's good advice. And I think the other piece that's so important in this text, and again, I'm going to skip over to um, the message. Because this is where we are reminded that, that a witness of God is at stake. At the end of this particular passage, this is where we're reminded that God has trusted us. That God desires to work in and through us for God's purposes in this world. Peterson will say, this is your salvation story. Let God tend the garden of your lives. And then you live into that salvation. You live into that word. You let that living word be part of who you are. Because God is counting on us for a witness. And God has commissioned us and sent us forth to the ends of the earth. And again, so much of who we are as a people of God is seen in our behavior, if not all of it, right? And people are watching. And folks are quick to criticize because we are so hypocritical at times. And we'll say one thing and do another, but God help us. That's where grace comes in. 
That's where grace comes in. You know, it's interesting. If you are familiar with the Lutheran tradition, you know perhaps that Martin Luther didn't want the book of James kept in in the Bible. During the Protestant Reformation, he said, this is a book of straw. I guess that was pretty harsh words back then. This James book is a book of straw. It's all about works righteousness. It's all about earning salvation by behavior. And, and, And he just wanted to leave the whole thing out. He was making some reforms, you know, he was doing that. And so, so he was thinking, oh, let's just leave this one out because this is too much focused on behavior, this book of James. John Wesley, our founder, says, absolutely not. He's got it wrong. James is about our behavior after we become believers. And James is so uh, dependent on God's grace Because James knows it is by the grace of God that we then get it right. That we then are compelled to live and to act and to do and to be in certain ways. It's not that we're earning salvation. It's that we're demonstrating it. It's not that we think we can get on God's good side by doing certain things. That chapter is done. What it is is our responding to how God has already acted so graciously in our lives. And so that's, that's where I'm coming from, good Wesleyan that I am, I guess. That's where I'm coming from. These actions that James talks about, and like I said, we're going to be looking at them for a few weeks. This is about how we respond, not about how we earn. Not about how we earn God's love, but how we respond to it. And so James ends, again, this, te- this particular passage, chapter, with these words. Anyone who sets himself up as religious... By talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Got enough of that, don't we? This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. It's pretty direct. When you're thinking about the choices that you have before you, when you've taken time to pause at those crossroads, to take a look at the intersection, to decide whether it's time to go left, right, forward, A, B, C, or D, multiple choice, it doesn't matter. When you've taken the time to pause, to consider, to pray, to read God's word, to counsel with fellow believers, then here's how you know you're following in the boundaries of the kingdom. Real religion is the kind that looks after the homeless and the loveless in their plight. Traditional translation again will say the widow and the orphan. Anybody who's downtrodden and oppressed kind of what I see here. Look out for the homeless, the loveless. Look out for the widow, the orphan. Look out for those whom society would not only dismiss but take advantage of. Look out for those whose lives you don't understand and whose lives you certainly don't want. Look out and lift up. Real religion 
when it comes to making decisions about our behavior and how that witness is, real religion, according to James, is looking out for the least, the lost, and the last. Is understanding that we have responsibility as believers for this great wide world around us. It's part of who we are. It's part of who God has called us to be. Not to earn anything, but to demonstrate how it is God acts in this world. How it is God has treated us. And therefore, how it is that we will treat others. God has reached down into the very depths of our sin. Of our lostness. And forgiven even the likes of me. And you, this is how God behaves. This is how when we are making the right choice, opting for the best decision, this is how we will behave as well. James is tough. And sometimes adulting or sometimes being faithful Christians means we look, well, I won't say sometimes, all the time means that we look beyond ourselves considering how our actions affect somebody else. And how is it that what we decide to do in big ways and small ways doesn't matter. How is it that what we decide to do is going to make a difference? Again, this day is but one day among many. This day is but one day among many, but the decisions that we make today perhaps will affect all the other days to come. I do believe that. The decisions that we make this day will affect all other days to come. So enough of this hot air. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you knowing that we have decisions to make. Knowing that each and every day there are many ways we could go, many actions we could decide to take. And knowing, Lord, that you have given us a signpost. You have given us direction. You have given us the ability to choose faithfully to demonstrate the kingdom of God in our midst and around us. God, you have given us the power not just to speak. We get enough hot air in our lives, including this voice. But that you give us the power to act and to do and to be those who represent you really well. To be those who represent you when we get faithfulness right. So help us, Lord, not just to pray. Not just to sing, not just to preach, not just to read scripture. Help us, Lord, to live with the living word and to make decisions, good decisions, that make you happy. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. As always, you can find out the latest happenings at Harrison on Facebook or on our website at harrisonchurch.org.